It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. What's going on, everybody? I'll say good morning, but it is late night here at Lincoln Financial Field. The Eagles are now 6-1 and one following their... I'm going to say blowout win, even though they only won by 10 and it was kind of tight at the beginning. I think it was a blowout win, and we have a lot to get into tonight, obviously. Carson Wentz, the big win, where they stand in the playoff standings. Is the Super Bowl realistic? The injuries. But I think the first question we have to talk about is, Matt, would you still take Khalil Mack over Carson Wentz? (laughs) Never in a million years. And and I think that what you saw tonight was Carson Wentz authoring his MVP resume. And I think that if we're looking at this across the NFL, seven weeks into the regular season, Carson Wentz is the leader in the clubhouse for MVP. And Elliot, there were two plays that really jumped out. I mean, we can talk big picture about Wentz in this game. We can talk about big picture with Wentz in this season on late podcast, but the two plays that really jumped out at me were the play where it was in the third quarter and Wentz is basically sandwiched in the pocket. He steps up and he throws the ball on a rope just to a spot in the corner of the end zone and... Rookie running back Corey Clement goes up, hauls it in, makes an acrobatic catch in traffic, gets both feet in for the touchdown. That that was a throw that reminded you of Donovan McNabb checking his watch with the throw to Freddie Mitchell Mm -hmm. against the Cowboys in 2009, like Randall Cunningham bouncing off Giants linebacker Carl Banks and and making the throw to Jimmy Giles in the end zone back in 1988 on Monday night at the Vet. That was one of the more memorable throws you're going to see, and I talked to Mason Foster about it after the game. He said it's devastating. He said plays like that are backbreaking for a defense, and the other play was the 17-yard scramble. It's third down, and Wentz is... You're looking down at your typewriter... Your, your keyboard, typewriter. Tim McManus is next to me <laughs> down at his keyboard, and, and I look up at the screen, and Carson Wentz somehow comes out of this mass of humanity with four Redskins mm. defenders in the backfield, scrambles for 17 yards. Those are plays you don't see quarterbacks and, make. And, you know, this is why it matters when everyone talks about the NFL Combine and, you know, how much do these measurements matter. Yeah, some of them don't, but what you saw with Carson Wentz is he, it matters that he's six 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 seven, you know, 230 or whatever he weighs, pounds of basically solid muscle. I mean, you know, not to get it, his, his tree, his, his legs are like tree trunks. I mean, this dude is so strong, and you could see it on, on that play. I mean, he's bent over. He, he's got three or four guys trying to bring him down, and he stays up and makes the play. So, yeah, I mean, I think you saw a lot from Wentz physically tonight that, that was impressive, but... I thought, to me, the biggest thing that I saw from Wentz tonight was mentally, and we'll talk about the team in general showed this, but I thought mentally you saw a team and a quarterback that was able to withstand really an absolutely terrible start to the game. I mean, I know we both picked the Redskins, I mean, sorry, the Eagles to win, Um, but I'll admit, like, when 
at the end of that first quarter, I thought, all right, well, this is that clunker we've been waiting for. Um, they they start the first drive off. They have three straight penalties. I believe it might even been four. Four They're in the first five plays. They're first, backed up to the two-yard line. Right, first and 36 or something crazy like that. And then Wentz throws, in my opinion, maybe his worst pass of the season. Um, people can say whatever they want about essentially it's a punt because it was third down. That's fine, but it was still a really poor decision by Wentz. And it reminded me of last year. So throws you would see from him not only in the game but in training camp when he was a rookie where he just it looks like he just whips it down there with no with with just basically praying that someone's going to catch it um i thought this would happen with his attempt at tory smith he throws in a double coverage it looked like maybe it was a miscommunication or tory smith lost it but it was just a really ugly interception that set the tone for a really ugly first quarter i mean the eagles only had 29 yards of offense in the first quarter they're falling behind three nothing that turns into a 10 10 to 3 deficit and it didn't look good i mean no. the eagles receivers were not getting open the defense was struggling they were committing stupid penalties and then i thought this game really turned around with that 64 yard touchdown pass to matt collins but the defense to their credit even as the eagles offense was struggling they bailed the offense out i don't think the redskins had a third down conversion until very late in the second quarter maybe even the third quarter. And you want to talk about Wentz. He goes from his first quarter stats being 1 of 13 for 13 yards and an interception, a passer rating of 8.3. So so not good by any metric whatsoever. And he comes back and by game's end. And I think, Elliot, this was really a microcosm of this entire team because this team is developing a mentality of resiliency. They, they've been able to withstand adversity at every turn, whether it's injuries to Ronald Darby, injuries tonight, which we'll get to, to Jason Peters and Jordan Hicks, the penalty barrage last week against Carolina, four penalties in the first five games. They've overcome adversity at every turn. Mm-hmm. And tonight, Wentz embodied that, finishing after that 8.2 passer rating in the first quarter, 17 of 25, 268, four touchdowns, one pick, and a passer rating, get this, 126.3. So all through his rookie year, you didn't see Wentz throw a four-touchdown game. Now twice in the last three weeks, four touchdowns tonight, four touchdowns against Arizona. And I think this was even more impressive because this was your toughest test within the division. This was your closest foe in the NFC East. And Wentz went out there and put on a clinic for about three quarters. And I mean, now, seven games into the season, he's got... 17 touchdowns, I believe, to yep. four interceptions. And before the year, me and you talked about what would be realistic um, expectations for him this year. And I said just based off of what you look at traditionally what second-year quarterbacks do, 25 touchdowns to me was the standard. And you said 30. And he's obviously going to – it seems like he's going to come closer to that. But I don't think we should overlook the fact that because he's going to pass 25 yards, that doesn't mean that was too low of a, of a, of a ceiling – that just means he's going to blow that ceiling out of the water. I mean, oh, yeah. he he is playing at a level not a lot of second-year quarterbacks play at. And and it isn't just, you know, the 17-yard runs impressive. It isn't those type of plays. It's it's just how calm he is in the pocket. How you like you mentioned when they fall behind early, you know, it was ugly here at the link. People were very upset. It doesn't let you it felt rattle like them. They were about to boo. You you felt yeah. like the fans were restless and to their credit, they stuck stuck it out with the the offense. It didn't get ugly down here, but you could feel that tension building. And then all of a sudden, that 64-yard bomb, and Lane Johnson said after the game that that was the spark that ignited the offense. It turned the tide for the team, and it really turned around Wentz's entire night. Yeah, and so, I mean, in the locker room afterwards, uh, you know, we're both doing our thing, talking to different players. At one point, I'm talking to an Eagles employee, and we're just kind of standing there and being like, I can't believe, you know, this is crazy. The team's 6-1. and one, They're maybe the best team in the NFL. And we're just, you know, I'm saying, yeah, there's a lot of things that make it happen. He's agreeing. But then we both kind of say... Let's be honest here. Carson Wentz is the is a huge reason this team is six and one. Yeah, the defensive line's playing well. Malcolm Jenkins having a very underrated season. Lots of different things. 
this team is 6-1 and one because of Carson Wentz. There might not be, I mean, there's probably two or three other quarterbacks in the league, but what he's done for this team, not many other quarterbacks would have this team at 6-1, and one, which is why I ask you, I know you have your quarterback rankings coming out on Wednesday, but how many, I mean, I, the literally only person I can think of that would be ahead of him in the MVP discussion would be Tom Brady. I mean, can, you think, can you think of anybody else? I think Carson's the leader in the clubhouse in the MVP Maybe Deshaun race. Watson. I don't. Really, I mean, I don't know what their record is off the top yeah, of my I, head. I but. think I think that Brady has the pedigree, and I think that New England is on a march to the Super Bowl. But it seems like Carson Wentz and the Eagles are on a collision course with Brady, Belichick, and the Patriots. And what, I think one of the things because you, of Wentz, right? And I think one of the things you have to take into consideration when deciding the MVP is Patriots were expected to be good. I mean, people talked about them going nineteen and zero. Yep. The Eagles were a borderline playoff team, and they might breeze to the first to to number one record in, in the in the NFC and have a first round bye. So and, and it's all because of Wentz. So I think at this point, I mean I wrote it after the game, he has got to be considered the favorite to win MVP at this point. Now it doesn't mean he's gonna win it. There's still, you know, a lot of games to be played. But at this point, all we can do is judge off what we've seen. He's playing at an elite level. He's taking care of the ball. He's making huge plays. He's rebounding this team when they need it. He's stepping up when it matters. I mean this guy is an NFL MVP and I tweeted during the game I've ripped Howie to shreds. We, you know, you've been critical of Howie at times. I think everyone's been critical of Howie at times. It's not going to matter. The fact that he went and got Carson Wentz is really maybe one of the more amazing trades I've seen a general manager make yeah, in and, and the last five as, or six years in Philadelphia sports, at least. And as long as this run continues this year, I think you have to look at Howie Roseman as an executive of the year candidate mm-hmm. because it, it the Wentz move is transcendent and it turned the tide of the entire franchise. But this rookie class, Matt Collins. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Matt Collins tonight. He's exceeded yeah. Torrey Smith in targets the last two games. Seems like he's increasing his role. And it was a really nifty play design on that 64-yard touchdown. You go back and watch Doug Peter. Peterson and Frank Wright kind of hid Hollins in a, a two-wide receiver stack on the far side of the field without Sean Jeffrey, and Hollins blew by him, blew down the field, he broke open, and Wentz hit him in stride for the touchdown. That was a huge play, and, mm-hmm. and those are the kind of plays that are similar to what you saw from Hollins in the preseason. He saw it in the Green Bay game. He's been a fairly dominant player on special teams ever since the Eagles drafted him, and I think that's really what attracted them to him, but I don't think we're very far away from a day where you're going to see, and maybe it even happened tonight, where Matt Hollins winds up on the field for more snaps than Torrey Smith, and he winds up being the number two or number three option on the outside. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if Matt Collins starts, but I agree with you that we could very well be seeing a day soon where he gets more targets, gets more snaps. Because, I mean, look, I've been critical of the Eagles' outside receivers, I think fairly. Alshon tonight, let's see what he did. Uh, Two catches for 37 yards, and when I asked for a bold prediction, I had easily 50 or 60 fans tweet me, this is Alshon's breakout game. This is Alshon's breakout it. game. I, yeah. thought, I thought it would happen tonight. He, here's didn't. here's the thing. I, well, whatever. We're not going to get into right. an Alshon debate sure. right now. But he's just not a guy that's going to put up big numbers. He's only had over 110 yards and two touchdowns twice in his career, and he's played you know, 40-something games, if not more. So he's just not a guy that's going to put up big numbers. But he didn't do much today. Torrey Smith didn't do much today. But I guess my point I'm making is the separation Matt Collins got on that long touchdown uh, pass from Carson Wentz was maybe one of the more wide-open was the most open a receiver got tonight, I think. I mean, he had yep. two or three steps on his guy. And these were Redskins cornerbacks that the Eagles 
receivers should have dominated. Their top two guys didn't get it done. Matt Collins came in and got the job done. Yep. And once again, Nelson Aguilar, big game, four catches, 45 yards. Not telling, but he does have the touchdown and a long of 14. So I thought he was impressive tonight. I agree. We talked about it back shortly after the Jordan Matthews trade. And, mm-hmm. and I suggested back then that Matt Collins would be, maybe not Jordan Matthews on steroids, but that speed and that size in those hands, he would eventually... Maybe not be an upgrade, but he would replace Jordan Matthews' production in the slot. It, it seems though Nelson Aguilar is on pace to to blow through some of those numbers. But I think Hollins, if Aguilar continues to thrive in the slot, I, I have no reason to move him to the outside. And I think that you look at tonight, one target for Torrey Smith, he didn't catch it. One target for Mac Hollins, we know how it ended. Right. I, I think you are really on the cusp of seeing Mac Hollins starting opposite of Alshon Jeffrey. And if, if you're going to get the kind of production you're getting over the middle of the field from Aguilar, from Zach Ertz, and you add in that speed element over the top, like we thought you'd get from Torrey Smith, but it comes from Hollins, that just raises the ceiling on this team this year and beyond because Hollins is a homegrown kid, he's a rookie, and it seems like he's beginning to build somewhat of a rapport and a chemistry with Wentz. Yeah, so before we get in the defensive side of the ball, let's talk about the rushing attack because if there one if there was one thing you kinda want to nitpick from this victory I think it was running the ball. Carson Wentz has eight attempts for 63 yards, so he ends up having roughly half of their 127 yards um, that they finished on the night. If you take away Wentz's attempts, the Eagles ran the ball 25 times for, off the top of my head, roughly 62 yards or something, 64 yards. So not great. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt, 14 carries, 29 yards. He averaged only 2.1 yards in attempt, had a long of 21. So if you look at that, he really had eight yards on his on his 13 other carries. He didn't seem in a great mood afterwards in the locker room. I saw him, I don't want to say storm out, but he was not in mood to talk to reporters and didn't really give a good excuse. I mean, he was not in a mood to talk. I don't know if he was upset about something else. I mean, there was a big win, but I think he was probably just frustrated in his performance. But then uh, Wendell Smallwood, eight carries for 25 yards. Corey Clement, one for six. Kenyon Barner, two for before they really couldn't get anything going on the ground and last week against the Panthers one of the reasons that game was so close towards the end was the offense wasn't able to put the game away on the ground they weren't able to do that again tonight now they had a bigger lead so no, it didn't but, end up mattering but let's go back to the second quarter real quick because if you think back it was 10 to 3 the Redskins were leading and there was about six minutes left in the half and the Eagles offense got the ball back and, and if you think back to the first quarter first quarter and maybe the part of the second quarter to open it up they weren't getting anything done offensively Mm-hmm. And then I think Doug, it was it was almost brilliant. This this little portion, this little chunk of the game, he deferred on the coin toss. Which, if you could put together a drive at the end of the half and wind up scoring and keeping the Redskins at bay, you have a chance for a two for one to borrow a basketball term because you get the ball back to start the second half. They get the ball with six twenty left. It's a short pass to Wendell Smallwood and then four straight runs. So you shortened the game there. You shortened the amount of time in the first half where the Redskins had a chance to get the ball back and that really is what ultimately set up the deep pass you ran the ball to set up the pass to Matt Collins for the touchdown I thought that was a turning point in the game that that series right there where you could have continued to pass the offense was herky-jerky at that point but instead you decide to run the ball keep out of Cousins' hands you get the touchdown it's it's tied up at 10 and then you get the ball back again because your defense held, and you go into the locker room up 17-10, and you get the ball back to start the third quarter. So even though the running game might not have worked in the macro, in the micro, I think it really did a nice job of setting up the pass to ignite the offense. Yeah, so on the defensive side of the ball, much like the offense, they got off to a slow 
slow start as well. Redskins have 102 yards of offense in the first quarter compared to just 29 for the Eagles, but they finished with just 344 yards. So the Eagles held them to 242 yards uh, for the final three quarters. Kind of really controlled them. I mean, even though they ended up with 24 points, really, if you look at it, they had 24 points, but... uh, 14 after half and seven of those were when the game was basically decided so they really only gave up seven points that that mattered um in the second half they really shut them down but at the beginning of the game i mean jordan hicks goes out in the second play of the game we'll talk about the injury to him and peters in a few minutes but i thought you really saw early on this team struggled to adjust to jordan hicks being out uh you saw vernon davis have a few big catches they the play that hicks was hurt on was a long catch down the middle of the field um then they give up the field goal then the second quarter, they give up a touchdown. So they give up 10 points in the first half. The Eagles offense bails them out a little bit. But I thought the Eagles defense really got off to a slow start. Uh, what did you think of the defense overall to begin with and, I guess, how they finished? What are your, what are your big takeaways from the defense? Yeah, my big takeaways tonight, Elliot, is that this defense was opportunistic and swarming at the right times. Those are my two words, swarming and opportunistic. Mm -hmm. You look at third down tonight, I believe at one point the Redskins were 0 for 5, and they were 1 for 7 after that to start the game on third down. 4 of 12. When you go 4 and 12 on third down, that means you're continuously giving the ball back to your offense. And we talked last week about complementary football and converting turnovers to points. Tonight, it was about... The, the key tackles in the open field by Malcolm Jenkins, about Rodney McLeod sneaking up towards the line of scrimmage and making a tackle on, on third and one. Malcolm Jenkins doing the same thing against Jordan Reed. Those are timely plays that championship caliber defenses make. And you think back to last year, what were the big issues with this team? Third down and giving up X plays. The only X plays I really remember were against Kansas City this year, the the Kareem the long, big, yeah. uh, big ca- uh, pass and run, and then two against the Chargers uh, in the second half. But for the most part, they seem to have tightened that up. The pass rush, I thought, was really good. I think we're re- you're starting to really see Derek Barnett take on a legitimate role in this defensive end rotation. Mm. I, I have no real complaints about the defense tonight. I think that in a lot of ways, they kept them in the game when the offense couldn't get anything going in that first Yeah, half. I mean, you talk about the X plays. Uh, Vernon Davis had a 31-yard reception, but outside of that, no receiver on on the Redskins had a catch of more than 20 yards. So they did do a good job containing those. You brought up Derek Barnett, and I think that's an interesting point because he's a guy that kind of got off to a slow start. Um, You know, I thought he had a few dumb personal penalties to start the season, but two sacks tonight was really dominant. I mean, even though he had two sacks, he was all over Kirk Cousins. I thought he really got to to him a lot. So that was really encouraging to see if you're the Eagles. And again, the pass rush was there. Uh, I'll have to look and see how many fumble, how many uh, sacks they finished with. But I thought they got great, great pressure on Kirk Cousins throughout it. You saw it late in the game. They got the pressure on Kirk Cousins and it resulted in that ugly. I mean, we want to talk about Carson Wentz's ability to take care of the ball. That, that, interception Kirk Cousins threw to Corey Graham and I think it was the fourth quarter it was was very ugly I mean there was nobody really in sight so the Eagles finished with four I'm looking at now four sacks tonight two for Barnett one for Malcolm Jenkins one for Fletcher Cox and Malcolm Jenkins you touched on it earlier um he's having an outstanding season I mean you know we, we do this podcast two or three times a week and we talk about Doug Peterson Carson Wentz the receivers the running back the pass rush the cornerbacks we don't talk about the safeties a lot, and I think there's two reasons for that. One, they're almost never an issue, so there's not a lot to talk about. But two, when you look at it, Malcolm Jenkins, 
maybe, maybe he, I mean, he's definitely top three player on the defense. He might be the most important player on the defense when you consider what's behind him. Uh, he might to, be the defensive MVP. He might be. Team. I mean, seriously, for everything he does, and, uh, you know, he's strong against the run. He, he's strong in pass. He's a leader on the defense. He had a huge game tonight. Um, he came up big on a third down conversion, uh, passed to Jordan Reed. It was third and one, and he kind of just stops him in his tracks after a completion, which is tough to do on third and one, gets the Redskins off the field. He had a huge game tonight. And, you know, last year, 2016, Malcolm Jenkins didn't have a great year because they asked him to do a ton. They asked him to go up on the line of scrimmage a lot. And that's another way you're seeing Patrick Robinson have that impact. But tonight, I mean, Kirk Cousins is a guy that's really hurt this team in the past. He finishes 30 of 40 for 303 yards, three touchdowns. Does have a good game, but... You know, it really felt to me like a lot of that came in the first and fourth quarter. I thought between the second and third quarter, this defense really stepped up when the offense was. I mean, obviously, one I mean, one of the, of his three touchdowns, one was in the first and one was in the fourth. That last one didn't really matter. I mean, that game was over at that point. Um, I thought Cousins played okay. I think he didn't play as well as his numbers indicate. And I thought the Eagles defense did a better job containing him than those numbers indicate. No, I, I agree. And I think that the one area that we haven't even really touched on as far as the offense goes Red zone efficiency. Yeah, this offense right. struggled last year in the red zone. How many times do we talk about them not being able to punch it in and having to settle for field goals? They were three for four tonight, and they've done a really nice job. And I think a lot of that has been the emergence of Zach Ertz. And Ertz mm-hmm. now leads the NFL among tight ends with five touchdowns, leads the Eagles receivers with five touchdowns with another one tonight. And, and he had a really nice game. And, and I know that there there was this rap on, on Zach Ertz that he wasn't a physical player, and, and I just don't buy that. I think that he's become a really complete tight end in terms of, of his run blocking. You look at five catches on five targets, averaged 18, 17.8 yards per catch, had the 46-yard catch that had about 16 yards after the catch, and a touchdown. The Wentz-Ertz connection is powering the offense. I think they're I think the best quarterback tight end duo right now in the NFL. They're up there. You know, you can make a case for Brady and Gronk. You can make a case for Alex Smith and Travis Kelsey. But long term, they certainly have the brightest future. Yeah, I mean, obviously Brady and Gronk have accomplished a ton. But just with Gronk's injury, he's kind of in and out of the lineup. I mean, I will say this. No tight end has caught more passes from a quarterback since week one last year than Ertz has from Wentz. So they're extremely productive. And last year, what's always really held Ertz back was the touchdowns. But this year, he's got five and seven games. He's on his way to a Pro Bowl year. So... Yeah, the defense was impressive. The offense was impressive. One thing that we have to talk about, and this is going to end up being a bigger deal than fans might want to think about right now with the excitement from the win, the injury to Jason Peters and the injury to Jordan Hicks. Um, after the game, Jason Peters was not in the locker room. Uh, Doug Peterson said he he didn't really know at this point, or at least he wasn't ready to say. Jordan Hicks was in the locker room. He was walking uh, with crutches and a boot on his foot, so it does not look good. I will say, and I'm sure you got the same feeling from talking to players in the locker room, they weren't talked about like guys who are going to come back anytime soon. I mean, players talked about these as, as upsetting injuries, about injuries that are unfortunate, injuries that you know upset them. So I, I think that you're looking at both of these guys being out. I, I mean... I would be surprised if Jason Peters took another snap this year in an Eagles uniform. Um, We'll see going forward what that means for him. And as for Jordan Hicks, just my initial reaction would be maybe against Dallas in Week 11, but he very well could be out for the year. I I think it's pushing that late. He couldn't even put any weight on that right leg at all. I know they announced it as an ankle, but he had a calf injury coming in. That looks like it could be one of those combination bone-slash-soft-tissue injuries. I mean, it, it looked like in coverage that his foot just either got stuck on the turf or his leg just gave out. 
and that's what led to the big completion on that play. Yeah. But you know, you what I, I want to give the Eagles defense a little bit of credit here. You saw early on Najee Good got beat on the first touchdown, I believe it was, from the Redskins. Never had his man coming out of the backfield, and you could kind of get the sense that the Redskins were going to attack the middle the rest of the night, and they were just going to exploit that, and that was going to be a trend for this team and a worry for the rest of the year. But I thought that Jim Schwartz did a nice job of taking away the middle in the second half because Cousins couldn't feast in the absence of Jordan Hicks. And if they can if they can survive Hicks's absence, if they can somehow piece together that offensive line, which I think is an even bigger issue, losing out on Jason Peters, then they're going to be okay. But I think that those two losses and how they overcome them, it's going to define their season. Because yeah. we can talk all we want about the high ceiling for Carson Wentz. We can talk all about the fact that they're now 6-1, and one, and by every metric they're the favorite in the NFC to, and to win the division. But you're talking about losing two of the top probably 15 players on this team, Maybe your best defensive player all around, possibly your second most important offensive player. Not many teams can survive those sort of things. And this team has survived a lot. We talked about it at the top of the show. Adversity in many different ways. These might be their two biggest obstacles to accomplishing what we think they might be able to accomplish. Well, let's go through them each briefly. I mean, right now it's you know it's Monday night. Doug's going to talk later in the day. Um, on Tuesday, he'll give more information at that point. We'll have our reaction show with Joe with Joe Gillio. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about then. But just quickly, let's go through each one. So Jason Peters, um, I talked to Halapuli Vitae after the game, a name that I'm going to have to learn to spell at this point. Halapuli yeah. Yeah, I've tried, I've tried to get away with it. I copy and paste it. I Google it. I'm going to have to learn <laughs> it at this point. But he told Muscle me, memory, my man. Yeah, Muscle memory. Yeah, I can't spell it to begin with. But, um, all right, so we're, I mean, he said that he, he's been practicing at both left and right, which we knew. He said he was comfortable at both. Last year he played, when, when Lane went down, he played right tackle. Uh, Jason Peters played all 16 games last year, so he didn't play any at left. Um, now, Doug said after the game he wasn't sure if he would move Lane to, to left tackle position. They do see him eventually taking. But a position he struggled in during the preseason when he did play it. And I think at this point... Let's just assume Jason Peters is out for the year. If I'm the Eagles, I put Halapuli Vatai at left tackle. I put Lane, I leave Lane at right. I don't want to move two spots because then you have to have Lane adjust to the left and you have to have Vitae come in and adjust. I leave my four as best as I can. You finally have some continuity with Steven Wisniewski. I put Vitae in, and I just hope. I mean, Jason Peters was playing at a high level. There's no getting around that. I thought Vitae played better as the year went on last year. Um, you know, it's tough to tell what he was in training camp. I thought he had a decent preseason in terms of the games. thought tonight he played okay. It's tough to watch offensive line yep. live sometimes and tell, but I think you're going to have to so Hick, It's a big injury, though. Yeah, I think you're going to have to see, and you're going to have to play a lot more 12 personnel, and you're going to have to play Brent Selleck in, in a lot of two tight end sets, putting him out there alongside Vitae, particularly in running situations, until you can get that confidence going that Vitae is dependable out there at left tackle. Because I think long-term, he's much better suited to play right, but I'm with you. I don't love the idea of weakening yourself at two positions because right now Lane Johnson is probably one of the top two right tackles in the league, but you move him to left tackle and all of a sudden you're taking him out of his Your average at both spots. Right, right. And, and, and I think that you just need to figure out a way whether you, you leave in uh, you know, Wendell Smallwood to chip as a running back, whether you want to go ahead and put Selleck out there more often. But you got to give the kid help. But I don't think that you move Lane Johnson at this point well, and, unless and, it's absolutely necessary. And the other part of this is we're just talking about the starting five. Vitae was really their only backup tackle. I mean, Isaac Sayamalu can play tackle, but he struggled at this year, as we know. 
Um, I think Wisniewski, no, Wisniewski can't play tackle. I mean, they, they, didn't, they don't have another backup tackle. They have Dylan Gordon on the practice squad. So I think they're going to go out, and whether they place Peters on IR, I would assume that's what they're going to end up doing. They're going to add a veteran backup tackle. I would be surprised if they added a starter. I do think Vitae will start, but the need for a backup is just as big because yep. if Vitae or Lane go down, I mean, let's be honest, Lane's a guy, he had a concussion. Uh, you know, He hasn't been the most consistent presence in, in, on the field. You you need a quality backup, so I think that's that's a roster move that's going to be coming. But let's talk about Jordan Hicks really quick before we wrap this up. Obviously, I mean, look, I've said it. I think Hicks at times is the best player on this defense. He struggles to stay healthy, and that is one potentially good thing about this is the Eagles are used to playing without him. This is the third game this year he's left and hasn't finished. He left against the Giants. He left against the Panthers, and now he left tonight. Joe Walker, I mean, I'm going to have to go back and watch. I thought Joe Walker played pretty well tonight. Um, I agree early on they attacked the fact that Hicks was out, but I do think the Eagles' defense settled down a little bit. Joe Walker's a guy, seventh-round pick um, in 2016, tore his ACL last year, didn't play, didn't have a good preseason or training camp in my mind, but they kept him because they do like him as a, a pure middle linebacker prospect. Obviously, with Kendricks, he could end up playing more depending what his health is. He also didn't play tonight. The Hicks injury is a big one, but I think they're better suited to cover the loss of him than they are Peters, just because you you can move things around a little bit more yep. at linebacker as opposed to these. This tackle is going to be out, out on an island. Right. You no. can't hide a left tackle. No, you can't. You, you can you can hide, and you can overcompensate for. And if Michael Kendricks gets healthy, you can play him and move Nigel Bradham inside. You you can hide the loss of Jordan Hicks, which I think they did a nice job of in the second half. You're not hiding a left tackle. Go no. look at what's happened with Eric Flowers in New York. Go look at what happened last year with this team when Lane Johnson was out. I think Vitae is certainly playing at a higher level now than he was as a rookie. But bottom line is, you're going to have to give him help over there. Yeah, and so, I mean, as positive as this win was tonight, as exciting fans and the teams and the team is that they're 6-1, and one, these injuries are big. And they're things we're going to write about going forward, the things we're going to talk about on the next podcast. So if you're listening to this for the first time, this is the No Huddle Show. Please go subscribe. We really appreciate all the subscribers we've gotten since the start of the season. We appreciate your four-star reviews. Matt, five-star reviews. Five, five, five-star yeah. reviews. Man, I'm tired. Well, <laughs> what, what I was going to say, though, was we're up to we're up to an average of four and a half. So we're slowly getting there. And if you remember last podcast, podcast I said I wanted to get to two. 200 five star 200 reviews by the time we get to Dallas we're at 147 right now so we are Let's getting get there. there we're we're getting there I, I do think we'll be there by Dallas so go subscribe we're on all your favorite um, podcast apps you can find us wherever you want to we do we'll we'll be back on Tuesday um, we'll be doing this with Joe or we'll probably post it Wednesday yep. but we'll, yeah so we'll be back and there'll be a lot to talk about with the injuries and everything um, We'll have a lot up on the site on Tuesday morning, so we appreciate the listens. Yep, Matt, make sure you go follow yep. Elliot at That's Elliot right. Shore Parks. Follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo PHL. Elliot, it's been a fun first seven games. It really and, has and, been. And leading into the midway point, week eight against the 49ers, this is going to be huge. And I think we're going to really see this team, you know, this stretch leading up to Dallas and with all the injuries, we're going to see if they can really take that step towards locking down the division. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the difference between 10 and 6 and 13 and 3. I agree. Just seeing what where if you can win these games. So, all right, let's get out of here. I think they're starting to close the lights out here at the link. Matt, we will record this Tuesday. We'll have it up for you guys. I'll talk to you soon.